Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Alright, this week we are talking to Chris McLernan, who was the bassist for the 90s hard rock band Saigon Kick. I will tell you, he is one of the most energetic guests we've ever had. This is one of those interviews where I, I feel like I'm barely hanging on for dear life, you know? But he's also extremely grounded and self-aware and intelligent and educated. So, these guys... They were sort of more of a fringe band. I, I'm cheating here a little bit because their biggest hit is the song you're listening to right here, Love Is On The Way from 1992. But he didn't actually play on this song. When this song and this album came out, the band started to splinter. He joined them and went on tour to support the album, but isn't actually playing on this album. And then he plays on their next few albums throughout the 90s. He's got some fantastic stories. Uh, before Saigon Kick in the late 80s, he was, really a part of that hair metal scene when he was with a band called Cold Sweat that never quite got off the ground, unfortunately, but he's got a great perspective on that. And he also became friends with Eddie Van Halen. He, became, he got to know a little bit the guys in Kiss when he was playing in a Kiss tribute band. So there's a lot to unpack here and I love it. As you guys know, I don't focus on the hard rock and heavy metal side of things too often because I feel like there's already a bunch of podcasts out there that cover that territory probably better than I could, and so I kind of leave it up to them to tell these stories, but, oh, in fact, Chris was on, uh, two years ago, he was on Brian Sword's Double Stop podcast in an epic interview, and so I purposely on this one tried to kind of steer it away from stories that were told there that in case you already, you heard that, so you weren't feeling like you were hearing the same thing over and over again. Maybe I needed to just relax and let it go where it wanted to go because he's so fantastic as an interview, but that was my thinking going in. So I think even if you've heard that, uh, epi those episodes on the double stop, stop, you'll still appreciate these. Here's what happened. So when I'm at the, uh, Nashville Rock and Pod Expo, I'm hanging out with Greg Renoff, the author of Van Halen Rising, and when he gets to understand what my podcast is, he says, you've got to talk to my friend Chris McClernan. He gives me Chris's info, I contact him, it happens, and I loved it. So, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation too, it's a lot of fun. Uh, he called me from his home in Charleston, South Carolina. Okay, so I don't normally go back to the very beginning on, on some of these, just because I feel like People's origin stories are often the most easily easy thing, the easiest things to find if you Google them, you know? Sure. Yeah. But in your case, I do, I do want to go back kind of to where, I believe it was 1985, you moved mm -hmm. from Ohio to L.A. to make it basically as a rock star. 
correct? Yes. Or to yep. try your hand at it. Okay. Yep. So yeah, when I you moved, did actually, that, actually, I moved. I went from Madison, Wisconsin. For, oh, that's uh, was, it. Okay. Yeah. So, but close enough. I mean, Midwest, okay. and they had winter, and I I don't live where there's a winter anymore. Thank you very much. <laughs> nice move. Yeah. So when you did this, was the intention uh-huh. because this is obviously the high point of. I hate to call it hair metal, but we will for the sake of just sure. this being the 80s and everything. Were you seeking out a hair metal career specifically? Was that what you were into? Um, no. Um, I wanted to be a musician. So it, it was like um, I've often compared that era to the to the movie star um, uh, boom of the 20s mm-hmm. and 30s where everyone mm-hmm. went to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was a period that never repeated itself, and then the same thing happened in the mid-'80s. And so yeah. my idea was, I mean, when we were in Madison, uh, the, the kind of the glam thing hit, and I was the first one to start putting on eye makeup and dressing in tatters and, you know, <laughs> look like, right. you know, someone sh- shot my clothes out of a Salvation <laughs> Army cannon, right. you know. But it was right. – um, and then I went – then everyone was doing it. So typical McLaren, and I went, oh, I can't do that. So I had seen David Coverdale – in the Slide It In video. And Uh-oh. he was wearing black T-shirt, black pants, white capizios, and that's it. And a studded <laughs> belt. I was like, that's me. I'm doing that. <laughs> so I moved to L.A. dressed like that. That's, And then I okay. got there in, in the, you know, Poison was just getting signed. Um, uh-huh. But, like, but the, like the, the those kind of glamorous edges had not been worn off yet. So Guns N' Roses was just still coming up. Um and uh, I, I just, I remember getting there going, are you kidding me? You know, I wanted to play. And, right. Uh, and there, there was there were some really good bands at the time. I mean, the, the pinnacle, of course, is Racer X, who just outplay everyone mm-hmm. in town. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, most of it was, you know, you call these guys up in um, the Music Connection, which is the, the local kind of um, gathering place for ads, you know, singer looking mm-hmm. for whatever, band looking for whatever. Sure. And I remember just going, are you kidding me? Everyone thinks this is 1974 all over again, and they think they're Johnny Thunders. This is horrible. Really? You know, yeah. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, I worked really hard to be a musician, and we were we were a good band. Um, yeah. So uh, a lot of them weren't. A lot, Some were. Um, but I remember getting out there and just going, all right, I'm a musician first. Right. Um, I mean, I like I love the party vibe because I'm an upbeat person, so I like sure. the, the party fun aspect of it. Right. But the kind of we can't play our way to what paper bag part of it is yeah. not really appealing. So you were being, I mean, you were seeing right away that uh, image was overriding people's individual chops, and right. that that was what was selling. That's what was fun and glamorous at the time. Yeah. I can't remember. When you moved out there, was it as an individual that you were hoping to latch on somewhere, or did you and a band move out no. there to get hit get we, big? We, we all moved out together. You and did? Okay. It, yeah, and it, it just kind of splintered, you know, the way things do. Um, yeah. And, and so I just started aggressively looking around and thinking to myself, well, you know, how am I going to do this? Yeah. And I realized that the pie was the same um, – size, well, not the same size, but the same, divvied up the same way the way it was in Madison. Let's say you had 200 musicians in Madison and 150 were just complete, you know, completely helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, they, let's say they meant well. Yeah. And then you yeah. move to L.A., it's the same ratio. It's just a lot bigger pie. Sure. Um, so you're now dealing with these people just like, oh, my God. So it took a while to crawl through um, 
the pretenders to get to the really good ones. And once sure. you started doing that, then like anything else, word of mouth, you got to meet this guy, you got to yeah. talk to that guy. There's always some completely 100% just luck of the draw things where you walk into a store and there's a guy who, you know, well, he looks like a rock and roller. Because in those days, uh-huh. if you looked like you were in a band, you knew who was in a band. Now yeah, you can't tell. Right. Yeah, um, very true. Uh-huh. Then you knew, like, you know, and you walk in like, okay, that guy's got hair to his shoulders and uh-huh. or his elbows or whatever. You're like, okay, he's probably in a band. Yeah. And then you strike up a conversation. Um, right. That happened more than once with guys I still work with. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So okay. It's, um, so when you get to L.A. and you think, you know, this is going to be quick, right? Because it's L.A. Yeah. and I'm just going to get right to the top. And, sure. you know, yeah. and, and I'm thinking to myself, God, this is where in, in some ways, and Greg will love this. Van Halen cursed us all because yeah, right. they they could play better than anyone else, but they, yeah. their image was so amazing. Every right. singer had to be David Lee Roth. You had to rap like him, look like him, be in shape like him, jump around like him. And right. every guy had to play like Edward. And every every bass player had to sing like Mike, and every drummer had to play like Al. I mean, yeah. so they had they were lethal because they were both. Right, had some, right. You had the sizzle had and the, the look and the sound, yeah, definitely. Yep. And yeah. that wasn't the case most times. <laughs> okay, yeah, I believe it. So when you get there, do you find yourself, I mean, it sounds like just Sodom and Gomorrah is some oh, God, yeah. strip. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Every, I mean, you've seen The Decline of Western Civilization Part Two, I assume. Oh, yeah. If oh, you yeah. haven't, you should. Um, oh, I have. I have. Okay, so that's the impression that, you know, especially now in retrospect, regular guys like me have of what, L.A. and the Sunset Strip must have been like in the mid-'80s. When you got there, were you – is that what you saw? Were you getting sucked into it? Did you eventually sort of adopt to the to the ways of the jungle that you were in, or did you remain always sort of a little outside? Um, I, I think, again, heading back to my, you know, Libra personality, I, you know, I balanced it. Um, uh-huh. I, when I got to Los Angeles, I made a, a, a pact with myself. I was not going to do any drugs at all, none. Mm-hmm. I was going to drink beer if I did anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And stuck to it. Still haven't to this day. Good um, for you. So, but there were others that I knew who fell into that, and because it was easy, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, and that's what you did, right? I mean, and yeah. that's again, if you go back to the twenties and thirties, that's what happened. All those kids who moved out from Kansas and became heroin addicts or whatever, just horrible. Yeah. But yeah. but when we got out there, my first thought was, you know, this is going to be um, harder than I thought because there's a lot of people who have bought into the dream part of it. They mm-hmm. haven't really bought into the work part of it. Um, and maybe that's coming from the Midwest where you just kind of go, I'm going to hammer through this and I'm going to get this done and I'm going I'm just going to keep at it. And the other thing right. was I was not moving home. No way. Yeah. Okay. No way. I that's was the good. First no musician. safety net. No, yeah. I was the first musician in my family. I'm the oldest son. You know, I was, uh, and early in school, going to gifted and talented classes, and, oh, he's mm. going to be a doctor. Oh, he's going to be a lawyer. I went to this prestigious <laughs> prep school in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going out of a Big Ten school, and I'm going, I am not going home. If I'm going to move right. all the way out here, right. I'm sticking it out. Yeah, um, yeah. So, okay. Because so, there are a lot of guys who went back. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, so I'd say three out of four, if you got your basic band, three out of four guys would move back. Oh, I believe it. Well, yeah, and so what, you know, speaking of which, what were you doing when you were there? You Were you making a living as a musician, or were you having to bust oh, tables, God, no. or what were you doing? Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> I, so what I, are you doing? I was, get ready for this, 
I was the manager of the one-hour photo store in the Sherman Oaks Galleria. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, that's now, great. I was lucky enough to have a boss. I, I, I was living in Hollywood at the time, and I, I walked into his store on Sunset and Vine. It was from a um, one-hour photo. Uh-huh. And he was an ex-hippie, um, and he saw all the great shows. So, I oh, mean, we really talked about music all day long. But sure. I walk in, and he hires me on the spot almost. And I'm thinking, well, that was quick. Wow. And I asked him later, I was like, I had hair to my elbows. You know, I wasn't going to uh-huh. get rid of that. You know, I moved to L.A. for a reason. I saw other guys with long hair having jobs. I figured you could get it, you know. Sure, sure. So his name was Chris also. And Chris goes, well, you were you were nice and personable, and I could teach you the job. I couldn't mm-hmm. teach you how to be nice and personable. So I lucked Good out point. with a great boss. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So he, so he made me the, the manager of the – and, of course, you know, this is this has since caused much delight with uh, Fast Times Ridgemont High references, you know. Yes. Uh, now, so. am I am I wasn't the Sherman Oaks Gallery even the mall that that movie oh, yeah. took place in? Oh, sure so was. So when you said that, that's the first thing that came to mind. And then also being yep. the manager. Okay, so we are having a total Fast oh, yeah. Times parallel here. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I go. I used to go eat at Perry's Pizza, which is where um, Stacy worked. Oh, you know, yes, I mean, it was no way. And, yeah, and Ratner was right across the. You know, he was the assistant to the assistant manager. You know, over sure, there of course. Year. At the Cineplex. So, and and again, you're you're this kid from, you know, a a small town in Ohio originally, but you get there and you're like, wow, I'm I'm in movie sets right now. Every day, this is my job. So I did that, and then I, you know, eked it out, living in Hollywood at first, and, um, and, yeah, which was was an eye-opener, because I get there in the summer of 85 during a heat wave, and Richard Ramirez, who was later, you know, named the Night Stalker. So I'm like, oh, well, good, right. good timing by me. <laughs> right. Oh, that's great. So did you, wow. were you, did you manage to sort of carve out a group of friends that yes. sort of uh, share, or were you, were you going to parties where there was total craziness and debauchery? You just weren't participating? What was the level uh, of, you know, exposure, yes. I guess, to the Sodom and Gomorrah aspect that we're seeing? Yes to both. Oh, okay. Um, okay. It's like so. Like uh, I had friends who had this house over in Van Nuys, and I went there, and it was just like you know, um, I made a joke after reading Running with the Devil that I don't know how there was any cocaine left over after 1985 because I thought Van Halen did it all from 79 to 84. There was none left in the in the world. Oh, you know? that's great. Oh. So there there was this house over on Hamlin Street where two buddies of mine were in a band, and it was just clearly. A, a uh, uh, general store for that sort of uh, oh, merchandise, yeah. shall we say? The house and, of horrors, as oh, God, Bill yeah. calls it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you just and you'd see him there. You'd see everyone there. Yeah, I mean, you know, and just like um, uh, it was just everybody who was in a band. You'd see just hanging out there. Mm-hmm. It was just a party house. That's just yeah. where you went. And at one point, I was like, you know what, man? There's just uh, something dangerous about this. And, you know, now after, get ready for this parallel, after reading books like Malcolm Gladwell's Blink, Mm -hmm. where you take in um, stimulus and you take in hints and you take in clues and you make a decision based on what seems to be instinct and a guess Mm -hmm. and magic, and you benefit from it. So I Mm -hmm. just went, you know what? I'm not going to hang out here anymore. This is just not good. And I just live right down the street. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, Interesting. sure enough, within like two weeks, five o'clock in the morning, LAPD helicopter rammed the door open, <laughs> complete and utter drug raid. Everyone's on their stomachs with, you know, hog tied with the cable ties. I'm just going, wow. wow. I'm like, you know, Keanu Reeves dodging bullets here. It's amazing. <laughs> so, there, so, you had, so you had the two of them. So I, it was kind of like, I'm walking through these things just going, wow, what the hell? And like I said, I drink beer, you know, because sure, sure. that was legal everywhere. Right. Um, but it was, you know, you know what? I'm just not going to mess with the other stuff because I know how this movie ends. Yeah. You know, yeah. I really do. Boy, we you all know how it that. ends. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I would do both. Yeah. I, and then I and then I was finding the friends, and as I learned, as you're as you're going along here, you start to learn that you're not gonna get a major label deal as a mess. And if yeah. you are, okay. you, you are an outlier. Again, getting back to Malcolm really? Gladwell. That kind of interest that that's interesting to me because it seems like so many of those bands. I mean, I don't know. I get. I don't know that. Well, Nikki Six. I mean, drug addict. You know, I. Maybe it does. Maybe it's not in affecting their ability to perform, or at least come off professional, or at least work in a studio. But it seems to me there's a lot of messy people in those bands. No, they, that's that's true. Later, when they okay. get money, okay. it's it's typically when you get signed, the labels and the management don't want to mess. If you, mm. it's kind of like, well, if you got a true. problem later, eh, we can throw you in rehab or whatever. Okay. You know? Okay. Like, you know, I've, I've, I've said this to somebody recently. It's like, wow, you know, think about it. If it was, if he'd been alive 15 years later, Elvis would have been thrown into rehab. They would have cleaned him up and he'd still be performing. Yeah, true. You know? True. But, yeah. at, but at that point, they'll take the, they'll take the star mm-hmm. um, once they get a problem. If okay. they have the problem coming in, it's get rid of them. Yeah. Or her. Okay. Wild. Now, somewhere along the same parallel line, you become friends with Eddie Van Halen. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. How Again, did this, this happen? Is, was, I believe, man. I asked myself the same question. I was like, <laughs> and would you would you still you know exchange Christmas cards with Eddie Van Halen? Would you sure. know who you are? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, a friend of mine who's a journalist, and you know, uh, Jason Beeler from our guitar playing second kick loves to say, "All your friends are grown ups." Um, right. So a friend of mine who I went to, my very first high school band, he now writes for the New York Times. So he was writing an article, I don't know, five, ten years ago with Ed, you know, interviewing him. And he was a huge Van Halen fan. Mm-hmm. And he's, he, he goes, he goes, yeah, a friend of mine says he knows you. And Ed goes, yeah. Who? And he's mm-hmm. like, uh, Chris McLaren. He goes, get out of here. How is he? Oh, and really? Goes, Sean's like, He's just like I couldn't believe what I was hearing, and then I and then he then the next thing he said I really couldn't believe. He goes, "Here's my number. Give it to him. I haven't talked to him in a while." Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so and and again these these things are kind of indigenous. I think only to the music industry, maybe film. Yeah. I don't know. Um, right. Where, as I like to, you know, my big joke is that dentists don't all get together at a party. <laughs> And go, hey, let's do a root canal on the guy in the garage, you know. <laughs> Woohoo! He's really good at this. But musicians, no matter what your level of success, yeah, yeah. can get in and and jam and figure a song out. So that's how Ed and I got to know each other. And wow. we we were in we were rehearsing at Sound City, and uh, he was producing Private Life, and um, we were auditioning singers at the time because our singer had left to go join Lynch Mob. So we were looking mm-hmm. for another one. Again, kind mm-hmm. of this. You get all the way to the top. I got a deal right. on MCA. 
Oh, our yeah. singer's leaving literally the day we're signing our deal. You're like, wow, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, Gosh. and people still can't believe that story. We did a cruise well, sure. in, in February, and these guys were like, and Oni's right there, and, and George is right there. And, and they're like, did that really happen? I'm going, oh, yeah. It did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did he just think he found a better deal or what? Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. And and you okay. know, I, I remember saying to him later, going, "Dude, I totally get it. Now. I totally get it." You know, at the time, I was like, "Oh my god, I worked this hard to get this far." And yeah. you know, but you you, you know, it's like you, you completely one hundred picture being on a a football team, and you know, you're playing for the Browns, and all of a sudden the Patriots call you. You know, yeah, okay, true. guess what? I'm going. Sorry. Yeah. It's, see ya. Bye. Absolutely. I love you guys. But you everybody know, would do that. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. But if you're on the Browns, you're like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, right. You know, so. <laughs> right. Now, we True. weren't on the Browns. Okay. Thankfully, I wasn't on the Browns. Um, True. But no offense to Browns fans. Um, <laughs> so, but with with Ed, we were rehearsing next to him, and I came out of the rehearsal studio, <laughs> doing of all things, singing uh, High Wire by Badlands, mm. just sc- right. sc- screaming loud. Yeah, and and I see this dude on just because that's what I do, and um, I, I see this dude on a phone with a fuzzy head, and he whips his head around, and I'm like, uh, and it was the old phone, like the Motorola brick phones, you know? Uh huh. Right. <laughs> so summer '89. So he okay. whips his head around, and I and I go over to him, oh man, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't know you were on the phone, and he turns and it's him. Oh wow. And and you know, I I mean, I literally saw the Van Halen Fair Warning tour, and it made me want to do what I do. Yeah. Um, I'd seen Rush a couple weeks before. I was like, well, that's cool and it's fun. I love Rush. Okay. But Van sure. Halen was like, that's like riding a rocket. You know? yeah. Going, yeah. What? What is going on here? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know yeah. who to look at or what to look at first. Right. Never mind my favorite tunes blaring out of this huge yeah. PA system. So, yeah. so I, I go, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Whatever. Just, you know, being polite. Sure. And he turns around at Tim, and he's like, hey, man, it's okay, or whatever. And I was just like, I don't believe I just said, what, oh, good Lord. So, of course, you know, and, I'm again, I'm known for this, I just go, uh-huh. oh, hey, how you doing? I'm Chris. Yeah. And he goes, he's like, in the middle of a call. He's like, hey, man, right. yeah, how you doing? I'm, you. I'm like, yeah. holy shit, I just met Ed Van Halen. I just yeah. met Ed Van Halen. <laughs> Not the way you ever think you're gonna, but yeah. here I am. Yeah. So I, so I go across the parking lot into the – main studio at Sound City, and I announced it to somebody. I was like, holy shit, I just met Ed Van Halen. He's, he's in the parking lot. And they go, yeah, whatever, McLaren is sure, you know. And uh-huh. one somebody went out and went, oh, my God, yeah, he's out there. Yeah. So, so like, two days later, um, we're, a- Anthony and I are drummer, and we're, we, you know, kind of jukeboxy people. We just mm-hmm. literally, we'd go in and play entire records just to get mm-hmm. tight. Cool. So we, we had a lockout. And we'd walk, which a lot for your, for your listeners who don't know, a lockout is when you have a studio and it's 24 hours, yours, all access. Got so, it. Okay. So you walk in anytime. Let's say rehearsal's scheduled at 1 p.m. Aunt and I would show up at 10 and we'd play. we go, okay, let's play Alice Cooper Killer. Then we just mm-hmm. play the whole record. Or let's play Side One of All the World's Stage. Or let's play right. whatever. Just let's yeah. get tight. Let's get cool. really, really good. Mm-hmm. So we 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 did that a bunch, and apparently Ed had been listening to us do it, and uh, oh, which really? we did which we didn't know. And yeah. So we're walking by one day, and he's I, I have a, a bizarre 
memory in the sense that I can I just retain so much. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. So I can mm-hmm. totally picture us walking by this room at Sound City, looking to my left, as we hear Manic Depression by Hendrix being played on a bass. Boom, ba-da, ba-da, boom, ba-da, ba-da. No way. That's cool, you know. Uh-huh. We walk by and I look in the room, and there playing a white Kabiki bass is Ed Van Halen no by himself. Way. He's there by himself. Wow. So I'm, I'm like, wow, cool. <laughs> And so Ant and I, Ant looks at me, and I look at Ant, and I'm like, hey, man, there's Ed right there. Well, look at that. You know, and he's yeah. playing Hendrix. You know, I'm like, you're playing <laughs> Hendrix? Okay. So we walk back to our little room, and he, we, we hear the riff stop, and um, you hear kind of commotion. And mm-hmm. as Ant and I are putting, getting ready to put the key in the door, Ed pops up right behind us. Hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> like, uh, good? <laughs> I'm looking at him like, what the hell is going on here, dude? Right. Right. And he's looking at me like, uh, 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 and he's got the key. Uh-huh. And so I was like, hey, how are you? He's like, good, man. What's what's new? What are you guys up to? I'm like, well, I'm just getting here a little early. Oh, cool. And so I went to like this Chico Marx idiot routine and just go, hey, well, you know, he plays drums, I play bass, you play guitar. Kind of like, duh, do uh-huh. you? You know, uh-huh. not, not, not do you want to. It's just like, I don't know right. who you are. Ha, ha, yeah. ha. Aren't I hilarious? Uh-huh. uh-huh. And, and he goes, yeah, sure. And I just, I'm looking at Ant, and I'm going, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he, now he's panicking. You would think he's got an electric eel in his hands. He's trying to get the key open into the door, right? He's freaking out. Right. And I'm just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So we get in there. We turn everything on, and I'm looking at him like our guitar player has got this kind of ESP strat thing and um, and a Marshall with a bunch of junk on it, um, you know, because that was the, mm-hmm. the thing then. You had these mega effects racks. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I know he doesn't like that. What do we do? And he's, yeah. he's just kind of looking at it. So I I yank everything out of there and I plug the head into the cabinet. And then a hand, and I, you know, he grabs the guitar and we plug it in. He's a literally guitar, cord, amp head, speaker cord, cabinet. Boom, done. So... I'm looking at Ant, and Ant's looking at me. I'm like, now what? So Ed Ed turns on his amp, and he does what the the legend says. He takes his hand and runs all the knobs up to 10. Really? And it's so loud, and it is not feeding back, and the hairs on my arm are moving. Wow. And the, you know, I'm just going, oh, my God, it's true. You know, yeah. you, just, you yeah. just don't – you think it's legend, you know, and you think it's no. out of press or – Oh my God! Listen to that. That's yeah. Ed Van Halen. He's, it's not his guitar. It's not his amp. Yeah. It's him. It's he he sounds like that. No matter what Incredible. you hand him, wow. it was. That's so amazing. Now, yeah. So I'm looking at him like, now what? And back yeah. to my dentist dentist joke. Now so we're like, well, what do you want to play? We start <laughs> ripping through Sabbath and ACDC and Cream and Zeppelin, and we are just having the greatest time in the world. And um, we finally say, well, let's play some Van Halen. He's like, ah. Because we don't want to yeah. play like You Really Got Me. We're like, let's play Out of Love or let's play Mean Street. Or like, okay. Let's play Spinner so Swing. But he sounded yeah. averse to playing Van Halen at first. He didn't want to do that? No. Oh, no. He's like, ah. It's like, yeah. I don't remember it. Because we kept pulling out ones you know, they didn't play often. You know, yeah. he was like, ah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I remember that one. <laughs> I got like, it. No. Okay. We're like, like it goes like this, and then, yeah. and then he'd get it, and he'd start playing. So okay. the great part was, as we're doing this, our guitar player comes in, 
and he's got kind of this look on his face. He's it's like, who the hell's on my gear? Mm-hmm. And he sees who's on his gear, and Ed kind of waves at him, and Eric sits immediately down on the couch and just like, I'll just be over here. Yeah, you keep playing. I'll watch. Right, right yeah. Wow. It, and it was one of the t- times in my life I was like, I am so glad I'm a bass player right now. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So no kidding. it happened a number of times. He's like, he's just come by and, hey, man, you want to play? Sure, come on in. You know, Wild. what do you, what do you want to play? Let's play, I don't know, Down Payment Blues by ACDC. And yeah. just, or Into the Void by Black Sabbath or War Pigs or Since I've Been Loving You by Zeppelin. I mean, and that just killer. to hear him imitate Jimmy Page to the letter. Oh wow! Just astounding. Oh wow! He's got it. He, he, it's just he's tuned into whatever frequency that is in the universe yeah. that I'm not tuned into. Yeah. You know? He's just Jeez. got it. Yeah. So let let me ask you this, and if this is too personal, you tell me. But um, I I haven't read Sammy Hagar's book, but I remember there being a I read an excerpt from it in Rolling Stone once, and he was t- I think talking about going over to Eddie's house. This was after the divorce and everything, and it's yeah. all kind of cleared out, and he's, like, losing his teeth, and he's probably on drugs. They don't know for sure. Were you – I mean, was the Eddie that – I assume, but you correct me. Was the Eddie you were hanging out with a very so, – not sober might be the wrong word. Um, sober-minded, at yeah. least, present, you know, yeah. present person who had it together? Or yes. was there were there signs of a somewhat unstable individual in there? Well, I mean, there were definitely signs of like, wow, man, this dude could drink me under the table. Like, okay. Like, okay. No, no problem at all. But, but like when I saw that stuff later, yeah. I was I was horrified. I was just like, oh, okay. oh my god, I hope someone grabs him and throws him into yeah. a hospital or gets him straightened out because, you know, anybody you know like that, um, yeah. much less someone yeah. with a gift, when right. you see them go through that, you're just like, oh my god, like, like he, I remember. Um, a couple of times where um, we were <laughs> we'd be we'd be driving around. He had this white GMC pickup, and um, he, he he's uh, I live I was in this tiny little apartment in Van Nuys, and he's like, mm. "Hey man, I'm gonna come over. Let's go to Gibson." Uh, okay, <laughs> you know. So we, he, he, yeah, he shows up. He parks outside, and you know, he's taking this, and, he, and I can tell he's a little nervous. And I'm messing with him at the door, and he's going, yeah, he thinks it's really hilarious, you know. But um, uh, <laughs> so we get, we got to get in the truck, and he pops the back of it open. He's got a cooler Coronas in the back. I'm like, well, uh, I guess if I'm going, if I'm going to die, yeah. this is a good way to go. Me and Ed Van Halen were hammered, and you're going to Gibson. I'm, you know, I'll be the, you know, Ed Van Halen. It's like, what is it, the Onion? Ed Van Halen, an area man, you know, right. dead now, yeah. Right. A local oh, wow. musician, okay. yeah. So he, he was fine. I mean, he's okay. Just, when you knew him, he the, was fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he like okay. he, he could put away Corona like they were water, but sure. I mean, that's he'd okay. been doing that since he was eleven or twelve years old. So sure. that was nothing. But what okay. I saw later, like what you're describing, what Sammy described, is like that was yeah. horrifying. Hey, I that could not real. believe you it. Saw that too for yourself. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Sure. That was bad. Well, well, he seems okay now. I mean, he's kind he of does. media shy now, understandably, but he seems okay. I, guess, I yeah, think he's he probably been through a lot of that or worked through a lot of that, so that's good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, so I want to go to Cold Sweat. Hey, guys, let me break in here for a minute, cover a little business. First and foremost, you do not want to miss the opportunity to win one of three 
Blu-rays of the documentary Hired Gun. I hope everyone has had a chance to listen to that bonus episode that we put out last week with the film's director, Franz Strine. That might be one of my very favorite ones because when I was going back listening to it, I was so it was so provocative to me that what we were talking about, and yet I had seen the movie twice. And so I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, you can enter to win a Blu-ray of the movie. Just go to swag.hustlepodmusic.com. We're going to be drawing randomly three winners on Friday the 24th, this Friday after Thanksgiving, and we will let you know who won. And that you have to have liked our Facebook page to be eligible to win. As I've mentioned this before, what happens is a lot of times the guests will alert their fans and friends or whatever to come listen to their episode of the podcast. And sometimes those people, in fact, most of the times, those people just listen to that episode and then leave, never come back. We want these copies to go to people who are invested in what Yan and I are doing here. So like our Facebook page, that way we know that we can stay in touch at least a little bit, and that will make you eligible to win a copy of the Blu-ray. So I hope you will go do that. If you feel like (laughs) participating even deeper, you can go on Amazon and you can buy one of our t-shirts. I uh, am seeing pictures. I even saw a buddy of mine where, I, I say a buddy, he's someone I know. I don't know him that well, but I saw him the other day here in Denver, and he was wearing a Hustle t-shirt. So I'm hearing from people that they're ordering them. Some of you are sending pictures. I'm so grateful. As I mentioned before, you can go on Amazon and you can just search Hustle Podcast merch, Hustle Podcast shirts, whatever it is. We have uh, a couple options on there. There's uh, black and Heather Gray, and they match the logo, and they're only $19.99. And someone was asking me about this the other day. We are trying to price them very low because I want you to just feel like you're doing something fun. I don't want you to feel like you're breaking the bank to do John a favor or anything like that. The shirts look great, and I just want you to buy one if you feel like it and have fun, and I hope that it's fun for you doing that. There's also, we've added a long sleeve version. That one's more expensive, but you know a lot of people love those long sleeve shirts, so that's in there as well. Do whatever you want. Uh, Support us if you like, but just have fun. That's all we ask. Now let's get into the people who shared last week's episode. We got a good response from last week's episode with Jim Goodwin of The Call. I'm so, I again, I do this because for a lot of reasons, selfish ones, a lot of them are, but some of them are because I just want the fans of these people to know that this, there are unique in-depth interviews with members of bands that they love out there for them to hear and thankfully the call got behind last week's episode and shared it with their fans we got a big response to that we've heard i've heard from a lot of people who found us that way and now we're going back and downloading the archives which means the world to me so thanks to all of you thank you to joe Royland of sit and spin he shared it on both platforms good old jay sablewski love you jay Curious World Podcast. I don't know who that is, but they retweeted it. Thank you. Steve Music. Don't know you, but thanks. Carrie Carlson. And I hope I'm saying this name right. Noel Hahn. Hope I'm saying that right. Anyway, thanks everybody for sharing the podcast, uh, letting people know about it. We're so grateful for you. Um, I want to tell you about a new listener named Dave Peterson contacted me with a request. And a... <laughs> 
his request was Mr. Mister, which has to at this point, as I've mentioned many times before, they have to be the most commonly uh, requested guest out there. It is the Sundays, the Ocean Blue, Sandy Soraya, and Mr. Mister. So let me give you an update on Mr. Mister. I have contacted or tried contacting Richard Page probably three times now, I think, through his website, and I've never heard anything. Um, I will tell you, I heard him on another podcast, I think it was Inside Music Cast. I don't know, he wasn't like the warmest, funniest, friendliest guy, and so I, this is I, this is completely me projecting. Maybe he doesn't love doing that kind of stuff, and so, you know, he's not, uh, he's not like the friendliest or, you know, most into talking about himself. So I, I could be completely wrong on that. That was just my perception when I heard him on this other podcast. So I went to their Facebook page and you know how sometimes, well, maybe you don't know some paper, some Facebook pages, they'll say, if you click on message, it'll give you like a response time. Person usually responds within an hour. And the Mr. Mr. Facebook page said that. And that's a pretty good sign that somebody is on the other side of this monitoring what's coming in. So I tried Facebook and I said, you know, I don't know if you'll ever even see this, but I would take at this point anybody from Mr. Mr. to come on our show. They get requested all the time. I think it was the next day someone replied and said, you know, I can't promise anything, but I have sent your message on to their management and hopefully somebody will get back to you. I don't know. That was probably a month or so ago. I've not heard from anything. I know Richard, I believe, is out there on tour with Ringo Starr's All-Star Band. And uh, that, uh, so maybe a lot of people I talk to don't, don't want to talk while they're on tour or preparing for a tour or just coming off of tour or whatever because their mind is elsewhere. So Maybe that's part of it. I don't know, but I will ping them again. That's the update on Mr. Mister. Uh, so lastly, let's talk about some reviews. I think this guy, Dave Peterson, that I just mentioned, I think he's the guy. Someone wrote us a new review, Tanya and Dave, and it was about the call. And so I think that might be this guy, Dave Peterson. His review is, The Call has been my favorite band for nearly 30 years. Thank you for the great in-depth interview with Jim Goodwin. Hearing the stories of turning down the Lost Boys, the problems with the record pressings, etc., were great and explained so much as to why the band never got the acclaim that they deserved. I look forward to going through your back catalog and to future shows. That makes my heart beat. I love that. That is exactly what I hope happens whenever somebody dis uh, discovers the podcast. Okay, FGN Angel, five stars. So fascinating. I love listening to these podcasts. The story of the artists rise, their brief time at the top, and their lives after fame are so interesting. And it's so fun to flash back to the iconic songs of your younger days and find out who was behind them and what they're doing now. John is a great interviewer, thank you, and really guides the conversations well. One of my favorite podcasts ever. Goodness, that is great. Thank you, FGN Angel. One Daft Dude says, absolutely brilliant, five stars. I'm a 51-year-old music lover. I've always listened to music that bubbles just below the known artists. This podcast captures many of those artists that I know and love, but many may not know. Excellent in-depth interviews that ask the standard questions, but also many extras that never get asked, much less answered. 
My only complaint, oh, here we go, <laughs> is uh, my only complaint would be the uneven sound levels between songs and interviews. Keep up the great work, and here's hoping for many more. Sound levels. Yeah, this is an issue. I hear this from a lot of people um, up there with me interrupting and saying wow a lot, which I admit happens as well. I, de- I never know when why the sound levels sound a little off. I use an app called Tape a Call. It's very simple. That way I can just call the person directly, turn on the app, and we're talking, and no one has to do anything. And so- And it always sounds fine while it's happening. Sometimes I go back and listen, and I'm quiet or they're quiet or whatever and then when the music comes on of course your you know your ears are adjusted to one volume and they get blown out i don't know why that happens i don't exactly even know how to fix that uh, I am starting to do more interviews uh, through Skype with a microphone whenever that's what the guest wants to do. A lot of them, I will tell you, like the idea of just me calling them and recording it better because it's easier for everyone. But uh, we'll see. It's a work in progress. Yeah, and I know works very hard on trying to level these things out. And so um, hopefully we're getting better on this. Anyway, that's it for the business this week. Sign up for the for the movie if you want. Buy a t-shirt if you want. Thanks for sharing. Uh, make some requests if you want. Have a great Thanksgiving. Oh, oh, I should tell you guys. So since I talked to you last, I mentioned on the last week's episode, I went to Scotland and hung out for the weekend with Yan and his folks. Yan's family is like a second family to me and his parents. I hadn't seen them in years, but they are like my own parents practically or grandparents. I love them and I hadn't seen them. So I went out for the weekend and hung out with them. Went from Denver to Scotland. Yes. And I was only there a couple of days, but it was so much fun. So the first day we were there, Yan and I met up with Graham Skinner of the band Hipsway. You may remember about a year and a half ago, Graham was on the show and I always thought he sounded at the time Hipsway was not happening. He was managing a, a cafe in Glasgow And I always thought he sounded kind of sad and uh, sort of depressed that, you know, it wasn't happening and he didn't, I I was probably projecting. He was so mellow that I just, oh, this poor guy, I want to hug him. Well, he's great. Hipsway got back together shortly after that. So (laughs) Yan and I are hanging out in this pub with Graham Skinner of Hipsway. And while I'm mentioning something on Facebook that I'm traveling over there, one of our listeners, Andy Summers, says... I'm going to be in Glasgow. He lives in Scotland. First of all, the fact that we have listeners in Scotland blows my mind. And they're not already friends or family. That is nuts. Uh, So Andy says, I'm going to be there too. I'll come see you guys. So he comes and meets us at the pub. And the four of us hang out for a couple hours. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. I got one on one side of me. I got a rock star on the other side of me. I got one of our listeners and it was so much fun. Andy requested a ton of people in this conversation. I'm going to keep a lot of them secret because I'm working on them. But anyway, it was so much fun. And then get this, we're leaving. Yan and I are leaving to go back to the car and we walk past, you know, a subway station or a tube station and they're on the wall is a poster for Hipsway with Graham on it and the upcoming shows for December, one of which Andy had tickets to. It was one of the most surreal but cool experiences ever. And then the next night, Yan and I went and saw, get this, we went and saw The Tubes, The Mission UK, and Alice Cooper in concert at the Hydro in Glasgow. It was so killer. I I love The Tubes. They... 
as an opener, they were nowhere near as much fun as they are when you see them and and they're the headliner. So it wasn't that I was disappointed, but I felt kind of bad. I just I know there's more to the tubes than what, the, what those people got to see. The Mission UK knocked me out. They're one of my favorite bands, and I they would never come to the states. So this was like a once in a lifetime thing. I loved hearing them. And Alice puts on an amazing show. This was my second time seeing him. I saw him open for Motley Crue a couple of years ago. And honestly, I probably won't go again because it's sort of, I've seen it. You know, there's the chopping the head off and there's Frankenstein and there's dancers and there's cost. It is incredible. If you've never seen Alice, see him at least once. It was so much fun. So that happened since I spoke to you last. I was so much fun going out there. We'll go back now to Chris. I assume most people who are going to listen to this have heard you recount the story on <laughs> other podcasts. So I don't know how deep to get into it, but I do know that, you know, you, this was your big break. You finally were oh, a yeah. part of a band. Yep. Um, and you're thinking, this is real. This is big. That we're, I, I, the thing that I came to L.A. to accomplish is now happening. Yes. Were you able to, I don't know if you signed some kind of big advance, were you able to go to the Photoshop and just like give your nice hippie boss the finger and be like, guess what, buddy? I made it. I don't, I'm not coming into work tomorrow. Or, no. you know, what was the transition like? How did you celebrate for one thing? Um, I celebrated by, I remember going to um, the, the first, you got to remember the first time around we were like, woohoo, we got it. Boom, bam, done. And, and with the way a record contract worked in those days, I'm not, I'm not sure now, you would, quote, get signed. Then for the next three months, lawyers would talk back and forth about the specifics of the contract. So we, we were managed by Wendy Dio, who was um, not new at this. She was definitely um, very adept at the right. process. And she still said, it's going to be three months, guys. You know, And we got signed in January. Um, we, didn't, we didn't start signing the contract till May. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, right. So when it went awry... It was right around the eh, first weekend of May. Um, okay. And, and okay, back to Ed, I remember telling him, dude, we, this is this, is this, and then we happened, and then, and then, and then, you know, uh-huh. hosed, and he's like, dude, you haven't been hosed by your management, you haven't been hosed by your label, you haven't been hosed by your accountant, you haven't been hosed by your lawyer, and just going, oh, thanks, thanks, yeah. Mr. Sunshine. You have a whole road of being hosed. Yeah. You don't even right. know about yet. Okay. Right. So years yeah. later, I said to him, by the way, do you remember that? He just started laughing. He goes, "Yeah, I said it happened. Thanks a lot." Yeah, all of um, it. Ten years yeah. later, so but yeah. so we we get to the the first celebration. Like, wow, we got it. I'm here. We all did it. We're in. Mm-hmm. Then then it goes awry, and then we celebrate again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember because at that point I was like, "Well, we're going to record in L.A." We I, the, at that point the age of the advances were gone. Mm-hmm. So, so you get a you know, nice big fat record budget, but you'd want to put that into the recording and into um, whatever you might have owed to somebody, but also sure. your your producer. So, you wanted to make sure you had money for all that stuff, and we kind of had all our own gear, and you know we were ready to go. And like I said, everyone was local. We were, we were doing it at Sound City, and everyone knew where that was and wasn't far away from no one lived in Huntington beach and had to drive, you know, an hour and a half to get to the studio. So it was, mm-hmm. it was pretty low key. So I kept my job all the way up to the first week we went on tour. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Okay. And everybody did. Okay. Everybody. Makes sense. It was like, 
you know, because we were like, I mean, my boss was really cool and yeah. he gave me the time off to go record because, again, I'm the anomaly. Yeah. You know, I, how many times did someone come to him and said, yo, yeah, we're, I'm here to get signed. I'm going to be a rock star and blah, blah. Said, okay, honey, that's yeah, great. Yeah, we'll you see. Know. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, of right, yeah. 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 Right, right. Okay. And he goes, uh, and here, somebody did it. So yeah, he was totally happened. cool about it. So that's yeah. great. Okay. Yes. So I, I again, I lucked out by having a great boss, but okay, um, okay. But I kept my job all the way up, and then when we got l- dropped later, he gave me my job back. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a guy! Yeah, right. That's what I mean. He's he's got a special place in my heart. That's for amazing. Sure. Yeah. Oh Good yeah. For him. Yeah, okay. It was awesome. Yeah. Um. So cold sweat, you know, uh, uh, comes out, and first of all, I think it's really funny that um, there's a song on the album called Let's Make Love Tonight, and then yep. four songs later, there's one called I Just Want to Make Love to You. There's As if one, you know, the message didn't, wasn't put across strongly enough the first time. <laughs> let's let's drive this point home with one exactly. more song about the exact same thing. What anyway. is on their mind? Yes. <laughs> right. They're Classic. subtle. What are we getting yes. here? Yes. And, anyway. and you notice the, the one song is a lot longer than the other, so that's how oh, subtle sure. we were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's the last one. So, right. you know, there's the video to Let's Make Love Tonight. say cliche i don't mean that as a bad word but you've got the oh, long no. hair you've got the pyro and you've got yep. it's on yep. stage and the two guys with playing an axe of some kind are leaning into each other's shoulders and you know oh, yeah. all the cliches are there formula. You, you had this formula better word so you have to think i'm living the dream this is totally. happening for real yep. and i don't even know did you ever see that i, I frankly don't remember that song um, I don't know that I ever saw it unless it was on Headbangers Ball or something. Did you ever yeah, see the video? It was. Okay. So did you get yeah. the moment where you got to see your video on oh, yeah. TV? And, okay. Yeah. Oh, and, and here's the kicker to that story. We're in Washington, D.C. on that tour, and Wendy Dio calls us up and says, boys, I've got good news and bad news. Okay. Now, I'm like, you know, the, the fictional character of Don Corleone, give me the bad news first. Uh-huh. But Wendy was like, let me give the good news first. Okay. We just got into heavy rotation on MTV. Awesome. Here's the bad news. MCA just dropped you. What? Yeah. So, what? How can that possibly happen? Why I, would that happen? Why not, apparently? Um, you know, it was, it was just like one of those things, like, are you, we're just looking at each other like, and we knew she was not kidding. Sure. Um, and we're thinking to ourselves, how, how did this happen? How did this happen? We yeah. Just, had no MCA, one could figure it out. 
made up their mind that they were going to drop you, and then when the good news came about NTB, it was already done? It had to have been. Okay. I mean, because otherwise, because there were other bands at the time, like Thunder, that would get dropped from one label and then gets re-signed. I think, yeah. I think Kaladner signed the signed the Geffen. So it happened before. Um, but And I know the Peppers had um, something where they're like, they were on EMI and went to Capitol or vice versa and you know just weird stuff would happen in, yeah. in that business but yeah i think what happened was the, the wheels were in motion and they said let's cut them loose and the mtv thing happened just due to wendy's um efforts and mm. she and she went back to them and said what are you what are you crazy just yeah you know keep them we, we did the impossible yeah. we got into right. heavy rotation eh, sorry about your luck oh that so, sucks yeah what but that mess. video um uh if you'll notice ronnie dio makes a, a uh a um, cameo in there because we were out, we were opening for him at the time, and he That's that right. is his stage. He lent us oh lent yeah his stage and no the pyro, way. all that. He's like, boys, we set he set it up a day early in San Antonio at the Sunken Gardens, and he's like, you know, you got it, full pyro, full light, yeah. full everything. I'm, so that is Ronnie Dio's headlining no stage from that tour that he let us use. That's killer. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it he, sends the message that you guys are a big deal, and I mean, it, you know, yeah. imagery back then was everything, and it sold, oh, yeah. you know, it sold the image you guys were trying to um, curate. Yeah. Now, I'm curious how Kevin Beamish came into all this because at the time he's really big, riding high for Ario Speedwagon oh, yeah. and Y&T. Did you have your pick of producers, or was he assigned to you? No, um, we had our pick. Um, really, and you picked yeah. him, and, and he agreed, and everything. Yeah, and and he stuck with us. Because he was there when Oni um, was there in the beginning, and then when we had a five or six month lag trying to find Roy Cathy, Kev stayed with us the whole time. So I mean, we wow. saw everybody, and we're yeah. just like, but you go again. I think it's you know you go with these intangibles, and the nebula, and nebulous idea of chemistry, and you think you know someone's got to fit in. They've got to feel like you know he's the boss, but he gets what we're doing. Yeah. Because we we were a good band. A lot of this Cold Sweat record is like the the um uh the, the Foghat tune you just mentioned, I just want to make love actually Willie Dixon. Mm-hmm. Um I just want to make love to you. That's live in the studio. listen to it on earbuds you can tell it's one guitar is here one guitar is there and yeah. there's like no overdubs um and it was all one shot so i think 90 percent of the original drum and bass tracks were kept entire take okay so wow. good for you and that's but that was kept because we were like yeah. you know this is what we want to do and 
there are other producers, well, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We're gonna... Then you meet the trendy ones at the time, and you meet the ones who are kind of up and coming, and then uh-huh. they're like, no, it, it just it worked well. And Mark actually was the one who suggested Kevin because Keel had done a soundtrack for the Dudes um, movie. <laughs> I was just listening to that two yeah. days ago. Yep. So, <laughs> so right. Kevin Kevin had worked with Keel on the Dude soundtrack, and Mark okay. liked liked him, and and it was and it was a great. Um, and Mark's like that. Mark is Mark's got kind of a an excellent mind for m- remembering this worked, that worked, and he okay. just he's such a networker. He kept Kev uh, in mind, and Kev worked perfectly. I mean, still talk to Kevin Beamish, and he's you know, he's as funny. Uh, really? And talented is one of the oh yeah he's just really? he's, and great stories too as you might imagine good. okay cool I love that well good but then you know uh, breakout comes out and yeah. label politics and every this is such a common yeah. story on here oh, pretty much yeah. everyone I talk to has this story and it ends almost as quickly as it begins yeah and then you're then I mean Saigon Kick happens eventually but. Tell me about that next morning. When when you is there a moment when you wake up? Well, I guess you did. You had to go back to the hippie photo guy and ask for your job back. Yep. How does that feel? You just go. It's just the definition of gobsmacked because now you now you look like a complete um, idiot because you're like, yeah, I did it. Ha ha ha! And you know, Uh look at this and you go back and you know, it's like going up to the plate in the World Series and whiffing. Yeah. Um, and you just go, what the hell just happened? Because now, unlike movies, where if you have a flop in movie biz, they'll re-sign you to do another movie. They don't yeah. assign that failure to you. In the record business, you are radioactive. Right. When that thing happens, they want nothing to do with you. We tried to get signed yeah. to Atlantic. They would not have us. Um, well, and it couldn't have helped that you guys were at the very tail end uh, yes, hair metal having any steam yep. at all, or currency anyway. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, um, and we we were just doomed. Yeah. Um it was like the talkies. Let's go back to yeah. the movie um, metaphor. You yeah, know, we were we were um, like I saw the artist a couple of years ago, and I just absolutely mm. loved it. And I'm just thinking all these parallels with the music business. Yeah, yeah, we might as well have had a French accent as we did when the talkies. Well, you know, we're mm. we're dead. We're just but you know dead. what you know what though. Honestly, probably, even if you had been re-signed, you may have eked out one more album before yeah. it all came crashing down anyway. Totally agree. Think. Yes. Uh, yep. You know, so yep. Uh, yep. you would have been in that, the same boat as 99% of the rest of that genre in oh, that yeah. moment, probably. Oh, so. absolutely. Okay. And the smart ones were able to reinvent themselves. Yeah. And then there were others that just kind of, you know, um, laid low and reappeared somewhere else. Um, yeah. So um, what okay. what had happened in the meantime, there's about a nine-month lull between uh, Cold Sweat trying to get re-signed, and we almost had a deal with Grand Slam, mm. which was an IRS uh, label. Oh, um, okay. Almost. Um, but, you know, for some reason it didn't happen. But I, Probably because, like you just mentioned, it the, the, the tide was clearly turning. Right. Um, even though you know we we didn't really come off that that way. I mean, we were the happy party type of band, but you know there wasn't a lot of makeup and you know there wasn't um, a lot of bouffant going on. But still, 
it was the subject matter, it was the presentation, it was the at that point a stigma um, of you know you you guys are just you know you're old news, sure. yeah. you're black and white TV, you know you're, you're you know you're Nintendo sixty four, you know whatever you you are no longer cool. So yeah. what we did in the meantime, when I finally at one point was like I I just can't do this, yeah. and um, we had a meeting um, at uh, at Niji management office and and um it didn't just things went south very quickly and i i walked out and put the rest of the band after the meeting i said i i can't do this i'm out Hmm. so but anthony and i were doing this little thing with tommy thayer and jamie st james called cold gin which was all all kiss stuff yeah which started out as playing at like jamie's birthday party because jamie and mark had a birthday both have a birthday in january so we we get together like musicians do at parties, um, there's always a jam session. So right. we just happened to sound a lot like Kiss. And people just lost their mind. It was fun, you know? So mm-hmm. Jamie, because he's got something wrong with him, was like, we got a book we got a book a gig. So we did. And it was fun, it was silly, and we just had a great time. And then it started snowballing. Uh-huh. And it re- and clearly it's worked so well. Tommy now has a full time job. Of course, uh, doing of course. it, yeah, which yeah. I think is the most awesome thing in the world. You do. You're okay with that? You oh know, yeah. Kiss purists have get really rankled by this stuff. Yeah, they do. But what they don't know, and well, maybe they will now because I'm going to blow the lid off. No. Um, <laughs> no. We we were having you know we, we'd be having discussions with these guys. Um, just casual, you know, just kind of sitting around and whatever. And, and Gene would be saying things like, I want this to continue on like Beatlemania. Dude, it doesn't matter. Anybody mm. can play me. I don't care. I don't care. Mm. Anybody can play me. They'll be better than me. This can go on because we're, you're a character and it's costumes. And it's of, And he was right. So his point was Kiss is um, almost a role you play. Yeah. That's so, so interesting because they've been, you know, Paul has been saying that. They've been saying that for a, the last few years. And, frankly, I've assumed it was kind of lip service. Like, well, it's easy for you guys to say that because you're almost done. And when you finally quit, it's only going to be a couple of years. Then you'll probably be dead anyway. <laughs> and, you know, like, but it sounds like they had this in mind all along. That's new yeah. to me. I, I assumed yeah. that they were sort of making this up on the spot now. It's a convenient thing to say now, but that's not the case. Interesting. Nope, nope, nope. He was Gene was absolutely um, sincere when he's like, there, "There's no reason this can't keep going." Okay. Um, he's like, I, "He, he had." It, it, I mean, and he's known for having a monstrous ego, sure. but there's other things, there's other aspects of it where he does not have one. Like I said, he's like, "I don't care who's playing me; it'll be fine. It's, mm-hmm. I have nothing to do with this. It'll continue yeah. after, long after I'm gone and whatever." And I'm just thinking to myself. Wow, interesting. Yeah. And of course, you know, you're not thinking at the time that Tommy, who's sitting next to you, is going to be doing exactly that. Right. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah. we, so we started doing that, and it just started just getting out of control. I mean, great out of control. But we, there was a band called Psychotic Symphony, and us. We were the biggest draws in L.A. We sold out the Celebrity Theater in Anaheim, which was like oh, three thousand right. seats. This oh, is right. playing, you know, Kiss. Yeah, and, and and while it's fun and it's cool, and I'm just going, I didn't move here for this, right? You know, I well now. So let me ask though, if that, I mean, would you, you know, Saigon Kick comes in, and you probably, 
you were more you were probably more successful in a Kiss cover band than you were in Saigon Kid. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 I only point, say that because this was these were sort of the waning days, and you know they didn't. It sounds like uh, the you know the Kiss cover thing may have been successful for a little bit longer. Or did you feel like Saigon Kick was was definitely the step up? You were doing what the Dawkins guy, blanking on his name, but you know what I mean. The singer who left. <laughs> yeah. You were kind of making the same decision here. Yeah. Well, I I knew Jamie St. James called it the exhibit. I mm. knew it had a shelf life. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So my first thought was. We were in the we were in the centerfold of Rip, and I didn't. I I had friends who worked there. I was like, "Don't use my name. Mm. I don't. I don't want to be known as a guy in a, in a tribute band." And because oh, that okay. wasn't a concept yet. I mean, yeah. okay. the whole tribute band thing was. I mean, you had like Michael White and the White, and you had some Doors bands on the East Coast, but you know, we were, and there were some Kiss bands too. But Gene and Paul literally said, "We love you guys. We huh. have to. You have to sign this in case we tell you to stop." Which right. goes fine, you know, yeah, cool. Yeah. But my goal was I'm still on the hunt for a gig. Okay. I, I absolutely want to get another band. And Saigon Kick was my favorite band. I wanted, I could not believe I got that phone call. Could not believe it. Yeah. So, um, so the fact, okay. that, and they they didn't know. I sent them all the Cold Sweat stuff. They had no idea I was in Cold Gin. They found out later. Um, How did they we, come to you? I don't remember. I, I think maybe I knew this and I can't remember. How, did they discover you? Did you apply? Essentially, I applied. Yeah, you did. Okay. Yep. Okay. And I was the I was the second guy in. Um, okay. A friend, okay. A friend of mine who worked at Polygram said, called me on a Monday and said, "So I got to kick fired the bass player over the weekend. Here's the here's the info." I was like, "Get out of here." Yeah. Like no no really. So I I get a hold of them and um, their management. I was in L.A. and their management was in Orange County, and they said, you know, go meet us, go meet our manager or whatever. And like, you know, okay, fine. Let's you know, make sure the guy's you know legit. So I go down and meet, and they're like, cool, come on out. So I go out, and I'd already had an advanced copy of the Lizard because I had friends mm. at Atlantic through the mm-hmm. whole cold sweat trying to get to thing. Right. So I'd already heard that both records for you know forever. I knew them like mm-hmm. the back of my hand because I loved them. Right. So. um I talked to Jason, and he says, yeah, well, we do all both records. I was like, oh, all right, okay, cool. So I, I walked in there, and I knew it all. Yeah. And so I, I really had stacked the deck in my favor. Um, and went in, and there was only a couple parts I had to <laughs> – I had to watch Jason play because I was like, man, mm-hmm. kinda, I can't really hear what that is. You know, it's yeah. chromatic, and it's kind of <laughs> a lot of effects. And so I kind of faked my way through it, but I watched his hands. Uh-huh. And and he goes, can we do that one part? It was a new world. Can we do one part again? I was like, yeah, sure. So we do it. And of course, I play it right because he just showed me how to do it, yeah. knowingly. Yeah. And he goes, all right. Well, it sounded kind of weird the first time, but it sounds good now. Okay. Well, next tune. So um, <laughs> so I get I, I I get in there and do, you know, um, just we all get along, yeah. which right. was crucial. I mean, because yeah. you know you're out touring. And you're ten guys in a bus with a crew for ten months out of the year. You better get along. Sure. Um, so we got along famously from the start, um, which was great. So yeah. I do the audition, and they say, "Dude, you're like the second guy in. We hate to send you home, but you know, yeah. we haven't seen anybody yet." Sure. And I'm like, do I do due diligence. Right. I was like, "Dude, I get it. No problem." So I fly back home from Florida to LA, and. 
there's a um I go to the the store uh, to Blockbuster um get a movie and um my now wife says uh uh Jason Beeler called and I'm thinking oh, well there you go dead yeah, I'm dead yeah. someone came in local guy you know cuz you go with people you know and all that sure oh well I got to audition for my favorite band. Okay, so, you know, I'm just thinking, <laughs> I know the business. You know, I'm just thinking, yeah. man, who am I going for next? Yeah. And um, he, he, I call him up and he goes, hey, man, how you doing? I was like, good. He goes, well, the gig's yours if you want it. When can you come back? No way. And I, was like, I was like, holy <laughs> shit. When do you want me? And right. so we figured that out. And then Verone calls me two seconds later and says, welcome to the band. <laughs> Can't wait to have you back. Let's Let's get on this. Let's ride this beast. I was like, okay, cool. Nice. So, yeah. So it was. Uh, and then you moved to Florida. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I guess in in theory, I got there oh. in July of '92, and we didn't come home till May of '93. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So we just I went didn't out. Completely picked up sticks and relocated. Oh, I did. I did. Okay. Okay. I did, but it was like the everything just kind of was in storage, as it were, until yeah. I got back. And then as soon as we got home, we went and did another record. So okay, and you um, now you know going back to making a living, you're. I don't know if you're living off again in advance or some kind of tour money or whatever Saigon kick money somewhere. Yeah, or you work in a mostly, regular job. Uh, mostly touring money. Um, when okay. when we did the water record, it did nothing in the states, but it did really well in Indonesia. Um, which we were, you know, we're like, Verone was like the first one on the phone to, you know, say Sex Farm's gone number one. And, you know, we're just, now we're living Spinal Tap and it's fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, um, but he and I were working in a video store to, just to make ends meet, you know. So I'm right back, I'm back at it again. You know, I was like, all yeah. right, I know this drill. Yeah. Um, but until that point, yeah, we're living off touring money or, or, um, okay. or whatever we had. Because we were Greg, working. Oh, go ahead. I mean, we were working a lot, so, you know, it was a matter of... Yeah. And again, no, I had no bad habits. Yeah, so, true. That's, you know, that helps a lot. Yeah, it wasn't like... Yeah. Also, well, I have a $50,000 a week Coke habit. No, nope, yeah. I did, yeah, I did okay. not. Because when, uh, when Greg Renoff uh, recommended you to me, he said, you got to hear about the story of him going and playing to these huge crowds in Asia somewhere and then coming back and, like, vacuuming the blockbuster. Oh yeah. I mean, is that yep. is that basically what your life was like? It is exactly what it was like. <laughs> we were Phil and I worked in a place in Tamara called Video Waves, which is kind of your basic family-owned video store. Okay. So we literally get on a plane, go to Indonesia. We have no idea what we're in for. We have three like number like top five songs in Indonesia. At that point, we're like, 
Indonesia. Well, it's 250 million people. It's, the country is huge. We we just, you know, kind of yeah. dumb Americans, you know. We don't know any dirt. Sure. sure. So we, we, t- we, get, we do some advanced press, and they're like, you guys have no idea how big you are. We're like, well, yeah, clearly, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But what was odd about it was that Doug Morris, who was the, um, one of the presidents at Atlantic, had said when the water record came out, you guys have three top five hits on this. I love you, on and on, and I forget the third one, maybe it was close to you. And um, those were the ones that hit in Indonesia. Um, mm. The song I Love You was huge, number one, just monstrous. Yeah, but they just drop like labels do. Sure. You go, you know what? Nah, we're not doing anything for you. And we just tanked. And no way. This is Cold Sweat Part 2. So here, we, here we go. What is the, what's the thinking here? I mean, is it that success in Indonesia is not sexy enough for Doug Morris to that came like That came like five months after. Oh. That's a, that was the crazy part. I think it took that long. I mean, now we have the internet. We would have found out a lot quicker. Yeah, you know, people would have been social media. It would have been a lot faster. Then it literally, like journalists, got a hold of our management and said, you know, would the band be interested in doing a tour here? We're like, yeah, okay, sure. And then we start doing some research. We're like, holy crap! So they flew these journalists over to Miami oh, wow. to interview us, and they're telling us all about. It. We're like, really? So we booked this tour of Indonesia. We fly over there, and it's the three of us. You know, yeah. um, it is not us and you know the backup band or whatever. It's literally well, three and we had a guitar player named Pete Dombrowski at the time. It was essential, mm-hmm. and you know, so he was. Um, so it was four, four of us. Okay. So we get over there. We get off the plane, and we have people lining the, I guess, roadway. Uh-huh. Um, for as far as you can see, wearing Saigon Kick shirts with our faces on them. No way. <laughs> yeah, and we're thinking, um, you know, we're like it's Akbar, it's a trap. Uh, we're wondering yeah. what the heck's going on, and 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 we're sponsored by a cigarette and beer company. So uh, uh-huh. again, I had lived in Saudi Arabia, so I'm just going. We're we're being set up here. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. We're in we're in a predominantly Muslim country being sponsored by cigarettes and beer. We're gonna <laughs> yeah. die. 
That's what's happening. We're going to die. I'm Billy Hayes. We're dead. Right. Uh-huh. So we get we get in the car. And we're like, wait a minute. This is a this is a beer bus, and they have beer in the. They have a keg. In, I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? What is going on? What's going on? So we drive out of the airport. We have a police escort all the way to the hotel. No way. They have closed down the roads because Saigon Kick is in Jakarta, and we are going to the hotel to play the big gig. Then we are. Then I got a bodyguard, which is you know my my the sound you're hearing is my head exploding. Yeah. And we, and we get to we get to the hotel, and we're just looking at each other like. Are this really happening? Where are we playing? Yeah. It's the same hall that Metallica and Sting had played earlier in the month. You know, again, we're no Phil, two, a week before Phil and I are putting you know Caddyshack back into the comedy section <laughs> and, and vacuuming the floor <laughs> at Video Wave. You know, going. I don't know. Can you work Thursday night? Yeah, I can work Thursday night. You know, and now I have a bodyguard named Irby. Oh. <laughs> and I just I cannot believe what is happening. And we're driving around the city, and they're freaking out that we're there. And we're, we're just going, is this really? Um, yeah. And at one point, we're driving along, and um, and maybe because we were older, it was we kind of were able to process it a little more um, efficiently. It wasn't a big ego stroke; it was more kind of wonderment. Uh-huh. But but we're driving along and I go, hold on, hold on, we gotta stop, we gotta stop. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, one of the guys is saying, we gotta stop, we gotta stop. So we stop and I go, what is that? And Phil uh, or Jason, one or two, goes, you've got to be kidding me. It is this maybe three story banner hanging off a building with our faces on it saying, oh, oh, got, oh yeah. Really? And it's, and it's hand painted, which is even better because oh. I, I look like the cowardly lion. It's fantastic. Oh. So, and we're we're just again so just all right. Someone grab a camera and we take a picture. We line up exactly how we are on the photo uh, or on the on the big banner, and we line up underneath it. And we take a big shot, and every show is out of control. There's one where they're afraid there's going to be riots. We have police um, lining the stage in Bali with rattan canes. We have, I mean, yeah, at the one I think is Surabaya, they really thought we were going to have a riot. We had a riot escape route. Um, oh. So oh, you're just my. thinking to yourself, this is not real. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, I was just literally arguing with an old lady about her light fees, you know, 10 days ago. And, <laughs> right. and, and, and now I'm, what, I'm, I'm in an airport where yeah. we're walking through security and we go, wow, I know that tune. And they were showing the I Love You video on all of the screens in the no airport. No and, and so picture walking into O'Hare, and every TV screen on there is playing your band's video. Oh, what a just, trip. Yeah, you just, it's like, what? where's Rod Serling? Yeah. And, you know, saying, picture if you will. Yeah. Well, see, now, this is crazy. This is kind of reminding me a little bit of like a searching for Sugarman type thing. <laughs> if you saw yeah. that documentary, because I, and this, yeah. you know what I'm talking. So this is why yeah. I mentioned yeah. about. I don't know that Saigon Kick was selling out 3,500 seat arenas throughout the states at this time. Oh. That's why I mentioned what I said no. earlier about the no. Kiss thing. But in Indonesia, anyway, you guys are the biggest thing ever. Oh yeah. What is uh, if you can explain it 
you know, uh, in some way that makes sense to us. What does, how does success in a country like that, but almost nowhere else, no offense, no, uh, not to that no, level, none, none taken. Can um, you know? I guess you can't live off Indonesia success financially. I guess you, you know, the money made from giant shows and videos and the number one song and all that kind of stuff. Are you you still got to go back and work in the video store? Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, we we actually we'd come back and we're just going, you know, uh, we we had used um, most of the the Indonesian money to finance uh, shows in Singapore and Japan and try and get another record deal, which we did. We got another record deal with Pony, because at the time we were without a deal. So we got another deal with Pony Canyon, but that financed that one. So, so you you could technically, you know, go to Indonesian flag, it's, you know, five gigs a year and and, and still do well. Um, But it's, it's a, it's a long way to go. Um, Okay. So the money you're making is basically just financing your trip. At that point, yeah. The very okay. first one, that's exactly what it did. The, the next two huh. or three were definitely um, more uh, profit-based, better okay. margin, shall we say. Okay. But, so yeah, the, the, first, the first run, yeah, it was just like, wow. You know, okay. we, we're, we're sending out these, these arenas, and we, we're knowing that it's, in, you know, it's investment for sure. Yeah, okay. So for the rest of the 90s, you guys put out a couple more albums. Devil in the Details, by the way, I think is my favorite. Thank you. Um, Me too. I love that album. And, um... Is, it, is Indonesia always that sort of safe haven? Like we can't. Yes. Yeah. We're only playing to hundreds, a few hundred people. We're not being played on the radio here in the states, but we know we can go back to Indonesia. Yep. And yep. feel like rock stars, and you know, pat our wallets a little bit. Yep. And then come back home to normal. Yeah, and and Europe too. By that point, because Devil oh, did good. really well. Okay. Okay. Devil did really well in Europe. So we were able to go and, and do some stuff there as well. Okay. And, and that's where I think you kind of get that that lesson where it's a big world. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, people make, made the joke a, a lot 15 years ago about David Hasselhoff being huge in Germany. It's like, <laughs> that's a big deal, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it really is. We I remember getting to France and there was this guy named Johnny Holiday who was, we're like, we'd never heard of the guy, but he was like yeah. huge. And we're just right. going, He's everywhere. So I finally say to our, our record guy, Olivia, I'm like, dude, what's the scoop with Johnny Holiday? And he's like, he's like Elvis here. And I shoot him a look like, 
he, uh, yeah, yeah, and he goes, no, really, and then he, he says to me, and I was like, I must have some reputation. He says, don't make fun of him. I'm like, uh, wow, all right, <laughs> everyone Damn. will turn on you. Yeah, I was like, okay, wow. all right, I won't. I was like, uh, I mean, at that point, I hadn't heard anything other than the fact that he was his name was like on every magazine cover. So boy, he was wow. dudes everywhere. Yeah, and um, so you you realize that. Uh, there were there were two guys in, in Stockholm when we were recording um, named Ronnie and uh, Ronnie and Raga who had this huge record that was just you know kind of just silliness um, and uh, kind of novelty record but it was okay. monstrous huge <laughs> and we're like what is the deal and again someone's yeah. like don't 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 do it it's yeah. huge it's huge yeah. all right okay but right. you know within yeah, within well. that right within that country. You know, you were monstrous. I mean, I guess the, the the best parallel for the rock business is status quo. Yeah. Huge in Europe. Oh, yeah. Especially, yeah. especially Britain. Zero yeah. here. Nothing. Yeah, zero. Match, yep. People might know matchstick men. That's it. Yeah. I um, Yeah, I lived in England for a while, and I remember they were huge at the time. And, uh, oh, I, yeah. I've, I've never heard of these people. And, ever, and this was in the early 90s, and I have never heard their name since in the States other than the guy died a year or two ago. Yeah. Rick, but, Rick um, did. Yeah. Right. That's yep. it. Rick. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but like not... Slade was the same way. Slade oh, love Slade. Yeah. yeah. So do I. Yeah. yeah. But, and, and they influenced a lot of bands here, but everyone is like, wait, yeah. didn't they do that run, run away song? Yeah. Well, yeah that's all 20... I knew from them. Yeah. Right. 20 years <laughs> into the career. Thanks. Everyone's like, Oh, quiet. Right. Right. I covered their song, you know? Yeah. But yeah, yeah okay. a huge band with amazing songs. Trip. So yeah. let me ask you this: If you, I mean, I know there's been uh, sort of periodic Saigon Kick reunions here and there, and yep. almost reunions and things like that. <laughs> if you guys were to head to Indonesia now, how many people do you think would show up for a Saigon Kick show? Uh, great question. Um, there was talk of going a couple of years ago. Um, because it was the 20th anniversary of, I think, the Water Record and I Love You and all that stuff. Sure. And um, uh, we, we just couldn't get it together. Um, so I, I, I don't think um, we'd have uh, any trouble um, saying, hey, we'd like to come over and, you know, and play some yeah. gigs and stuff. And we haven't gone to Japan or Singapore. Or, well, we played Hong Kong, too, I think, uh, on that run. And, um, and they, everything always went really well. So yeah. um, I would okay. think, you know, and we still get fan mail from it. And, well, fan mail, that makes it sound like a yeah. rock, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, <laughs> so uh, we get emails. Yeah, We get, Facebook, me we get yeah, Facebook, Facebook messages. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And people are like, oh, I love your stuff and with this. And, the, you know, and the, you'll, you'll see them playing it on Instagram yeah. and they tag you in it. And it's just like, well, that was 20 years ago. Holy mackerel, you know. It's before my daughter was born. And she's going to be 21 next month or That's next week. Crazy. So. That's crazy. Um, this won't – I don't know if this will resonate with you at all. But a couple of years ago, I talked to Bertie Higgins. I don't know if you remember Bertie Higgins. He had a – Yacht Rock hit in the early 80s called Key Largo. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I interviewed him and a uh, really funny guy. And he's still fairly big in the, around the Pacific Rim. And he was saying that I think it's every other year he goes out there for a string of like for like six weeks and does however many shows around the Pacific Rim. And that's his nut. He makes enough money oh, yeah. in that in that six week span to like live off of. Not to mention all the other stuff that he does, but that's where sure. he like 
that's his nut for the next year or two. It's just that string of shows. And totally I don't, I mean, it sounds like maybe I'm sure you, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but it does sound like Saigon kick could do something like that. If they could oh, yeah. get it together and do it. Right. Yep. Yeah. I, I think with us, so the, the only thing that's preventing it is that other projects like, okay. Jason's got his own label and management and he's got his stuff. I've got, um, my things that I'm doing, um, once, um, once, once I got kick decided to kind of put a, a lid on it in 96, 97, um, I moved away and just kind of put, but, and I've heard, it's, it's so funny. I've heard the story a number of times from other people where they just like, I cut everything off. I literally sold every instrument I had except for two, um, which was uh, an acoustic guitar because I always wanted a Martin when I was a kid and I got one. And I had a black ESP bass that um, Lemmy played, Sam Kinison played, um, Don Dockin played, Richie Cotton played it. Um, the I used it through all our recordings. I you know I held on to that too. Yeah. And I was like I put them under the bed and I didn't touch them for six years. Um, and I and I went into regular business and learned learned well overdue business law and accounting and I was just like oh my god this is the way it really goes. Uh, and um, and just decided like you know well. I, I I miss being creative. So mm. at that point, technology was allowing the hard drive to replace the tape machine. And TV was, you know, thirsty for anything. So mm-hmm. um, I always had a bunch of riff ideas, and I just had to kind of learn how to do that. And that became my kind of thing to do over the yeah. last 10, 12 years. Um, so I have that that I do, and then I got a um, – thing that I'm doing now with a bunch of guys from the LA the LA days, um uh-huh. from Mother Mother Mary and we were trying to get signed in eighty eight, eighty nine, but we were like um it was very bluesy. Flash hadn't okay. killed off the hadn't killed off the the pointy head of guitar stocks yet. Got it. You know? Okay. <laughs> so so we were ahead of that curve because it was very bluesy uh-huh. like um early White Snake, early journey, um nice. okay. deep purple we had a B3 player who went to play for the cult, you know, I mean, oh, it was interesting. Yeah. So, um, the black crows hadn't hit, you know, so yeah. we, so we, it, it just, it died. Mm. Um, but thanks to the internet, we can record together again. Yeah. Um, sure. but I, I was able to use the stuff I learned in TV to get that going just as far as the technology and transferring files and, and all that. So yeah. we just released an EP about two, three weeks ago. And it says so, mother Mary, mother Mary. Yeah. Like a ghost that haunts my mind A reflection of a time I'd rather leave behind But every time, every time I try to break free my knees once again fighting back the tears my 
you can buy this on iTunes and stuff? It, it's on, we got it at Bandcamp right now because it's just an EP. Ah, uh, got it. Okay. And it's, it's called Insecurities Exchange because the idea of guys handing stuff back and forth after 25 years. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, is this any good? Yeah, yeah. it's fine. Uh, <laughs> so we, we literally had 35 to 40 songs. And I was How? like, I was like, let's, I'm picking five and we're finishing them. So yeah. we have an EP that's just out now and then we're going to finish off the, 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 the rest of it and make it a record and, and then okay. shop that and get it going. But send me the link and I'll include it in the, in the we'll notes do. for the show. Yeah. So people we'll can do. Find it. Okay. But, but right. that's, but, so but the, that's, the so that, that's music, what I, that's how you make a living primarily. Yeah. Now. Yep. Okay. That's what, and then it's not going to kick us in playing gigs. So that's, I mean, that's, you know, that's what we do when we do it, but yeah. It's it's not certainly a, it's I like to describe it as like four guys arranging for a golf game in Chicago. You know, we all show up and we all play. We have a great time. You know, uh-huh. people love it. And okay, and then we you know okay, yeah. let's do it. Let's do it in L.A. next time. You know, yeah, that's what we do. So, well, this is I mean, what a circuitous route to success. I mean, the end result yeah. of all of this is a nice life. Uh, I assume the TV business has been good for you. Saigon yep. Kick is a nice bit of like gravy on top of it all. Yep. Married with a couple of kids, I believe, right? Yep. Yep. So yep. it turned out really nicely and really normally, despite all of it, right? It it did, and and I think you know, getting back to the musician part of it, like my son and daughter. Um, yeah. Or it's like, you know, you're like, you know, being a doctor or a lawyer would be really a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if you want to be a musician, use it as kind of like your tennis game. That's kind of, a, you know, it's your outlet on the weekends. But they both have an extreme affinity for it. And um, and they've already both been on records. <laughs> um, nice. There's um, a buddy of mine in town. We've been friends for about 10, 12 years. His name's Eric Bass. He plays uh, bass in a band called Shinedown. And, oh um, sure, yeah. So um, so he's used the kids before on Shinedown songs, and two oh. years ago when um, uh, their their fifth record came out, um, he, as they're recording it, uh, he said, you know, hey, can you get Delaney in here? I got an idea of, of uh, you know of having her uh, sing on a song. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes in and kills it and i mean she's grown up around eric so she's comfortable around him and she knows how to record now and he knows how to direct her and you know i just shut up and sit in the back yeah i'm like you know he knows what she's doing i don't i'm not gonna be stage dad or whatever sure sure and uh and and it was a song called cut the cord and it went to number one in rock radio
you know. she's in there. Yeah, I'm like, okay. And she starts it. The song starts with her. And, no way. Um, yeah, so two years ago, they're out um, um, doing the uh, the survival tour, and they're playing Charlotte, um, and the song starts, and the crowd goes just out of their minds, and I'm thinking, I said, that's my daughter. Yeah. That is my, and every hair on my arm went just straight up. Oh. And I, I could not, I was like, wow, the McLernan is now on a number one record. Yeah. This is, yeah. This is amazing. So, um, but they had, they had been on, um, both uh, Delaney and Graham had been on a song for the Alice in Wonderland soundtrack called Her Name is Alice. And Delaney does the reading at the beginning and the end. And then oh. they're both, yeah, and then they're both singing from the Lewis Carroll. And then she, um, she and Graham both sing on the on the last chorus. It's Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Yes. Yep. What? Yep. 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 <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So they. Um, Damn. Uh, so so we're watching. Someone sent a video and said, "Hey, check it out. Here's you know they they kind of use it as a melange part yeah. of the song as the intro tape. So so that 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 going on. You hear the the chorus and you know. The kids are sitting there watching it, and Delaney thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. And Graham's getting this kind of really perplexed look on his face, very concerned. And I'm thinking, oh, here it comes. Yeah. And he said, and I'm, so we watch it. And they were opening for Nickelback at the time, or co-headlining or whatever. Okay. So it's a hockey arena, and there's a lot of people, and they're going bananas. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so Graham's looking at this, and he's like, Dad. How many people are there? I said, I don't know, Graham. That's, that's a hockey. That's probably twenty thousand people. He goes, Are they doing this every night? I said, Yeah, let's say four four nights a week. Sure, you know, three on, one off, two on, one off, something like that. Oh. He goes, Huh? Are they doing this around the world, like in Germany and Japan? Why he picked the Axis powers in World War Two, I don't know, <laughs> but he did. And I said, Yeah, buddy. As a matter of fact, they did. And he goes. Shakes his head. He goes, "I should have charged him a thousand dollars." Yes. And I just started dying. So I couldn't wait to tell the band. Oh, that's great. And, and they're like, and they're for, the first thing out of their mouth was, "Finally, a musician who knows his worth." Yeah. You know, like he's going to take care of you. Don't worry. You know, they oh, that's great. excellent. That's excellent. So, yeah, but now he's going to school. And saying he's on this record, and no one believes him. And he's, yeah. he's getting so frustrated. He's like in fourth grade at the time. I said, well, Graham, think how outlandish this is. You're living in Charleston, South Carolina. You're going to Drayton Met- you know, Elementary. <laughs> yeah. You're on the song on the radio? <laughs> You're right. Whatever, yeah. buddy. Here right. we are.
I, I went in for um, um, what is it like parent you know whatever go, yeah. have lunch with your kid day or whatever. Okay, okay. So I walk in, and um, and you know you're about around a bunch of fourth graders, so they're you know they're still kind of short. I'm six feet two, so they're you know kind of okay. Well, he's kind of a tall dude, and you know interesting. This is we don't know what to think here, and so one of them sidles up to me and goes. Graham said you were in the Kiss band. <laughs> it's like in kind of a sideways glance. I go, yeah. yeah. He goes, she's like, really? I said, really? He goes, wow. <laughs> so all of a sudden, Graham finally had street cred. Yeah. You know, yeah. Finally, finally, like, okay, his dad didn't lie. So okay, we're we're all right. We're cool. That is killer. Yeah. That's killer. My uh, my son's name is Graham as well. He's only eight. But my kids were uh, huge Kiss fans as well, just by proxy of being my kids. Yeah, Crazy. They, they haven't um, they haven't met the guys in Kiss yet, which I which I really want them to at some point because they because Gene and Paul are so good with kids. Yeah. Um, and I've seen them over and over backstage with kids, and they're just wow. I mean, they're both parents, but they're they're sure. just so good with them. And um, I really want to meet them at some point because they'll 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 have a blast. I'm yeah. sure they'll hit it off. Paul came through. I'm in Denver, and Paul came through doing a book signing a couple of years. It's probably two and a half years ago, three and a half years, three and a half years ago now. Yeah. And um, I took my kids, who at the time were five and seven, I think. Yeah. And uh, we stood in line for two and a half hours. Wow. And it was the most exciting day of their life. And Paul, <laughs> you know, asked them both very personal questions, looking in their eyes. And my yeah. daughter drew, took him a picture of her dressed up as him for Christmas and or for Halloween, I mean. It yeah. was uh, – he was great. He was so great to them. Oh, yeah. So, he, yeah. When he was backstage, we, we saw, I saw the last show here in Charleston, believe it or not, with the original lineup. Um, oh, really? In 2000 or 2001. Yeah, it was a, we didn't know it at the time. Yeah. So uh, there's a picture of us, me and my friend um, Silvio, who was our, man, our marketing guy at Atlantic. Um, it's he and I, and Tommy Thayer was their road manager at that point. Oh, wow. And I said, uh, said, I said Tommy, can we get a picture? And he just like, gives me a look. I'm like, dude, I never ask you for favors. Can we, can we get a picture? And he's like, all right. Now, these days, you know, there's meet and greets and all that. And that picture would have cost me God knows how much to get in. Right. So we, yeah, we do it real quick. Boom, bam, we get the picture. So uh, I have another picture of Gene and I um, where he's not in makeup and I am. So I, don't, I think I'm one of the few people maybe other than Spiro who yeah. has one in and out. Um, <laughs> right. But um, Classic. We, were, uh, we were backstage and it was after the show and uh, – um, Paul had hair extensions or clipping, you know, whatever to make him more look yeah. like Paul Stanley during the show. Sure. So this little little kid goes, "Hey, can I ask you a question?" And he, Paul says, "Sure." And uh, he says, uh, "I noticed before the show, um, your hair was short, and then it was long <laughs> for the show, and now it's short again." <laughs> Paul Paul didn't bat an eye. He goes, "Well, I do that just for the show. I grab my hair and I pull it real hard so it gets long." <laughs> And then, you know, I wear that way for the show, and then as soon as I wash my hair, whoop, it goes back up. And the kid is good enough for the kid. He's like, oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> That's I like, great. I was like, slick, nice. Right work. on. Cause, yeah, because, right you know, who knows? I was just going bracing for what what sort of answer. Oh, yeah. Let's see what's going to happen here. Sure, you know? sure. 
slick. Good for them. That's yeah. great. And genuine too. His oh, affection sure. yeah. for the kid was, and you saw it. So yeah. it's it, it was it was absolutely genuine. Yeah, he was great. Well, Chris, thanks a lot for doing this. Um, sure. I, Thank you, know, you for having me. I was told you told great stories and you did not disappoint. So I really appreciate <laughs> well, you, you doing this. Thank uh, you. I uh, will let you know when this comes out. I tend to work about six weeks in advance usually. Okay. And I'll send you the links. And if you feel like sharing them with your fans or friends, whatever, feel free. Uh, I was um, just going to ask you, make sure you send me that stuff. So I'll absolutely throw it up there. For oh, sure. cool. Good, for sure. good. Cool. I would love that. But yeah, um, I was really, I was really looking forward to this too because, like I said, I saw your your list of people. Like, I was like, I I never knew if you pronounced your name this way, but Genya Raven. Um, Genya, it's, it's Genya. It, it yeah, is a hard G. Okay. That out too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like, holy mackerel! I couldn't believe that. Like, and then um, what's his face from Squeeze? And I was like, you, you yeah, just rattled off all these right great guests. I was like, wow. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm I feel shocked. You know who Genya Raven is? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, I was. I was one of those guys that, and I think this helped him with Saigon Kick, because Saigon Kick was is still just very eclectic. It, I mean, yeah. you have devil the details, you know. There's a samba oh, and yeah. a punk. There's a samba oh. and a punk tune on the same record. Absolutely. And why yeah. not, right? Yeah. There's twelve different genres right. going on in that album. So I was right. So I was a Beatles fan first, and I'm a music fan. Although it was oh. definitely hard rock based, but sure. I had weird influences all over the map and um so looking at all these people you had there just going yeah i, I gotta hear that one i gotta hear that one i gotta hear that one i gotta hear that because i knew all the names yeah you know yeah i mean i i had you know in 78 to let's say 81 when i was in prep school i was the only one in my prep school that ace of spades but oh, i was really? probably the yeah oh yeah oh i knew i was i yeah i bored yeah. For sure, know it. Um, <laughs> and uh, a buddy of mine is now um, editor of uh, uh, Surfer and Surf Magazine, and you know he's part of Enthusiast Network and all that. He's you know interesting. He was, he was editor of Spin at one point, I think. Okay. And he was at my very first gig, but he was one of the only other kids in the school who was a hard rock fan. So yeah, I got shit for listening to Van Halen and all because they listened to Grateful Dead and The Doors. Oh and yes. right. Yeah. But and Bruce Springsteen, who I was not a fan of and still okay. not but okay. but i liked but i got introduced to the doors and yes so i was like okay cool i like uh-huh. that um uh-huh. there were the police you know yes. so you know i'm i'm playing van you halen like, you like everything okay yeah and then then i throw on regatta de blanc you know i play yeah. along with that too so why not you know it was sure. it was Again, you know, the White Album's got Helter Skelter and Dear Prudence on it. So, Very sure. True. You know. Very true. Or Queen, Death on Two Legs and You're My oh, Best Friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, are, yeah. Are on the yeah, same absolutely. side. Yeah, definitely. So, why, okay. why not? So, when I'm reading through all these these guests, I'm like, yeah, I listen to, I listen to them, I listen to them, I listen to them. I'm like, God, I can't. Because now I'm going to listen to it differently because we've all kind of done different paths, but they're sure. very they're very parallel. And yeah. and it, it, more often than not, I get it now when you see musicians who are fans are fans, fans that are how are those guys friends? Yeah, and you just you're all in the same biz. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. And like I said, I mean the the pitfalls that happen to you in both bands, half the people I've talked to have had very similar experiences where the label oh, yeah. went under or they were dropped the week after it came out or no marketing or whatever. And um, 
I yep. think it's really interesting to find out how people feel. I, granted, it's in retrospect now, but like in that moment, when you woke up the morning after you realized you couldn't make a living as a musician anymore, and you had to go get a regular job, right. how does that feel? What did you? Right. What were you? You know, what did you do that day? You know, how yeah. were you feeling in that moment? And yeah. um, and that's the kind. That's where I try to kind of drill down to, of like just the ups and downs. Because some of the people, you know, I've, I've been lucky. I've been able to talk to some bigger names or names that mean something if you care about the band, like Squeeze or the two yeah. or whatever. But yeah. um, you know, I just want to know how people feel about these these ups and downs in retrospect. Yeah. You uh, well, like, process like, a lot. You, and you mentioned the tubes. Talk about a band that worked their ass off. Oh my gosh! No you kidding. Know, so yeah, we all have that same kind of you. You bet everything on this horse. Yeah. And yeah. then someone goes, "Nah, eh, you're not running that race." Yeah. And by the way, you can't be in any other races. Yeah, that I mean, it, your success is so much of it is out of your control, and that's yep. the part that's so as a, for creative people, especially who we want to create something and then we want to share it with people and we want to get right. feedback and we want to connect with other people through our creativity. And, mm-hmm. But there's a gatekeeper to this. There's somebody yeah. who has to allow you to do that, and that's so yes. counterintuitive to being creative. And, yep. it's a, and that's, that, that conflict is so difficult. Um, and, well, and, you, and a lot of that is, is, is um, unfortunately, not only you have a, gate, a gatekeeper, but the, the second gatekeeper is fashion. Oh, yeah, true. So true. You, you can be um, uh, regarded incredibly well during your time but you don't lack you know, expiration date doesn't work so well yeah. and then you have other ones where you may be overlooked in your time and you're completely huge later and people go oh i get it now right the, the right. lucky ones are the ones that boom you hit yeah. it right at the same time you're unique and unique enough that you can then sustain it into a career mm-hmm. that, that's why i my, my cousin played in the nfl Oh, and I, really? And, oh, yeah. He was on the championship Ohio State team with Eddie George and Corey Stringer. And, um, okay. uh, oh, yeah. So Rob was um, – his name's Rob Kelly. He was drafted by Ditka to the Saints. And he was in, he, he was in uh, for four years, which was like the league minimum, to be able to get a pension. And he okay. played for – last year he played at the Patriots for, uh, for Belichick, who he just absolutely loves. Wow. But it's a very similar thing. You get yeah. in there and you have this um, – Comet-like arc of yeah. get your get everything in now because you yeah. don't know. What, in their case, it's injury. Yeah, um, with us, it's you know think of uh, literally where music turned on a dime. Like the Beatles is the first one, and then the Summer Love was the second one, and then the Sex Pistols was the next one, and then Nirvana was the next one. You could argue Van Halen was in there too. I mean, yeah, they changed sure. a lot of it, but. Um, but like everyone still talks about Nirvana from from my era, which yeah. is I'm like it was a time for one, yeah. Um, and two, they were a great band, right? You right. Know, I mean, I mean, so were the Pistols. I mean, sure. As long as as long as Glenn, sure. Glenn Matlock was playing bass, but yeah, they um, Nirvana was fantastic, great songs, yeah. great live. They were really really good, and they, so they deserved to change everything. Yeah. Um, so I was yeah. always okay with that. Yeah. A, a lot well, of my contemporaries good. are not. <laughs> well, you. I mean, it's clear that you have a very ha- healthy approach and 
Maybe that's because you've been a, you were able to transition. By the way, I got to get off in a few minutes because I have another interview in about fifteen. Yeah, minutes, go. But, yeah. Um, I. Uh, but it, maybe that's because you were able to transition to another successful career where you're not sitting there like grasping at how can I do this and I, you know you're not stunted growth. You were able to grow and. Yeah. I mean, if you went Could to prep be. school, it sounds like you came from a good, you came from good stock, or you knew yeah. how to. Okay, well, See, not everyone and, does that, you know. No, no, but I was by far the black sheep there, but I got along uh, yeah, with everybody, sure. you sure. know, which was which was fine. And and as Jason Peele used to say, saying, "All your friends are grownups," because <laughs> um, they're all lawyers. Like I'm going to go to Madison here in a couple of weeks um, and, and hang out uh, with two buddies of mine who. Literally, uh, both lawyers. Um, one works works on and off with Metallica, um, and he does um, he does Kirk's uh, he, like he's like the curator of Kirk's horror collection. But they were, oh, really, yeah, yeah. And his dad is um, his name is Mark Paschke. His father uh, was an artist who is in Chicago Art Institute and has his own gallery. And I mean, Mark's an interesting dude. And then my other friend, who's my roommate in college, Grayson. They were both public defenders. One was in Chicago. And what was in Milwaukee? You know, oh, and these are these are, so these are the guys I hung around with. Yeah. You know, yeah. So you just kind of it, it's this weird uh, booyah base of, of yeah. uh, influences and maybe uh, you know uh, just I was too level headed for the business. Probably. My, my like brother always. Foresight. Well, my brother, I yeah, I may have been lucky to do that. Um, yeah. My brother said I wasn't screwed up enough to become really big in the music right. business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was like, you, you had no yeah. bad habits. He's like, that, first of all, that's working against you right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, the flip side is I remember a lot. So yeah, it makes, it makes for fun stories. It does. Well, you delivered. Thank you very much for talking to me, Chris. I'll send no, you all thanks the links for having comes me. Out. Oh, absolutely. There you have it, Chris McLernan. Wasn't that great? So funny, so intelligent, so self-aware. The whole conversation, I'm trying to kind of sensitively broach subjects like, you know, I hope it doesn't offend you if I say the words hair metal. He could care less. It was so great. I love talking to him. My favorite album that he played on of theirs is uh, Devil in the Details. And this is one of my favorite songs off that album. It's called Sunshine. So if you don't know Saigon Kick, they, there's a little bit of everything out there. They remind me a lot of Jane's Addiction. So check it out. See if you like what you hear. Uh, next week, little teaser. We're going to put out a two-parter next week. Uh, it's going to feature, the first half is going to feature the man who wrote one of the biggest and most enduring hits of all time. This one happened to be from the early 80s. And then afterwards, we hear from the man who sang that song. <laughs> Very different personalities. I think you're going to like it. It's pretty classic. So come back next week and hear that. I think you're going to like it. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Makevich for putting everything together. Guys, you guys know the business by now. Please, uh, if you're hearing this, there's still a little bit of time, as I mentioned earlier, to uh, sign up to be eligible to win the Hired Gun Blu-ray DVDs. Uh, that information is on our Facebook page. The link is there. Go in there. We will be announcing a winner on Friday, the 24th, the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, you can go on to Facebook. You can like our page while you're there. You can please write us a review on iTunes. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can keep in contact with us at thehustlepod at gmail.com or at thehustlepod on Twitter. 
Thanks, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving. I love you all, and we will talk to you next week.